0: guys and welcome to the moms and mysteries podcast a true crime podcast featuring myself mandy and my dear friend melissa hi melissa
1: hi mandy how's it going
0: it's going great i saw you on tv
1: oh yeah i saw you on tv i
0: I didn't have
1: a chance to watch the whole thing but and also i frankly didn't want to see myself any more than i had you did
0: Great. I watched the whole thing twice and I thought it was great.
1: Yes. I thought you did great because I was like fast forwarding to like parts where I would see one of our faces and I was like, dang, Mandy was on it. Um, Oh, no, no. You did good too. You have to watch the whole thing. No, I, I I'm gonna say this right right here, and I said it when we recorded that. I was literally three days out of the hospital and on so many <laughs> steroids. So like when I looked at my face, there's one shot of me and you, and I was like, "That is the most miserable looking person I've ever seen in my no. entire life." <laughs> but it is really cool, and the story is really interesting so if you haven't seen it you should be able to find it on max now right Um, yes the playboy murders season two episode one i think it's called the bentley twins
0: maybe i can do one even better for you melissa um if you would like to watch it and you don't have hbo max you can just go to investigation Discovery's website and they actually have it on there for free right now you can go watch it oh because it's probably because it's the premiere or whatever Cool. Yeah. So super exciting. It was such a fun experience to do it that. Really was. And yeah, and the episode really did turn out great. I was very happy and surprised Good. with myself because I thought you I did. I sure. remember walking
1: <laughs> out of there and being like, you nailed it. And even a few times saying, please ask her that question. <laughs> Cause I was like, <laughs> I just, like, at some point just wasn't going great. And I was like, I can't answer anything. But you did awesome. You
0: knocked it out of the park and you looked yeah. great. It was awesome. Oh, well, thank you very much. Mm hmm. Yeah. So in other news, Melissa, it is still the month of January. It's been going on forever, (laughs) truly forever and ever and ever. I saw like, I've seen several memes actually about this. So I know everybody else is feeling this, right? like never ending January thing Uh that we have going on. I saw one that was like, one thing about January is like she's gonna make sure you feel every one of her 31 days like I've seen just like <laughs> true. you know but you, you've seen the multiple ones like that where it's like oh the first like 86 days of January have just been yeah. like I posted forever. one <laughs>
1: yesterday on our Instagram it's just an art picture and it says what a year huh and then the oh other it's lady only January says, girl it's January <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> it's true yeah so it it really has felt like a very very long First month of the year, I don't know. It feels kind of weird because sometimes I we sit here and say, like, oh, this month flew by, but I am right. not saying that about mm-hmm. January at all. Mm-hmm.
1: No. Counting Crows needs to make a remix and a new song instead of long December, long January. And yeah. dedicated to you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Melissa, you did at least have some fun and excitement. You went down to Miami, which is I like, did. <laughs> which is like honestly. Not Not the place that I would expect you to go. No, it it wasn't. (laughs) My daughter,
1: for some reason, which also doesn't make sense, wanted to go to Miami. So we have the Brightline train here, and I've never taken it. And so she and I went down, stayed the night, and came back on the train. And it was a perfect trip. It really was. It was so nice. It was beautiful weather. When we got there, they were like, this is the coldest it's been in like four years. It was in the 60s. And it was just super nice. I loved hanging out with her. It's nice to like... It's nice to be able to do stuff with your kids one-on-one when you have multiple kids. Definitely, um, yeah. And so it was really special. It's like a really cool memory I have with her. So yeah. I was thankful.
0: Yeah, I know. I'm actually really jealous. I am I really want to try a trip on the Brightline train. I'm very scared of trains, so I don't know if I would actually like it.
1: <laughs> if security is your thing, this isn't it. Uh, it's a lot of like, you're just kind of walking through security, throwing your stuff up. I don't even know if the computer was working on the like... That checks your bag. Like it
0: felt very like Is it more or less security than getting on a cruise ship? Less. Oh. It's less. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's like just going to uh get in your car. Like if you wouldn't have got in your car today, like how much security would you go through? That's (laughs) about how much I felt like we went through. It was not promising, but it was a nice trip and the the train was nice and it was cool to be able to move around and you know, be on the internet and
0: yeah. know, not have to drive. Yeah. Yeah, so it was definitely. Quick. That's definitely like, the number one perk, I would say, it's not having to drive. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, for the story this week, we are actually going, not Miami, uh, kind of a place that we could call the opposite of Miami, all the way to Alaska for the story of 19-year-old Sonia Ivanov. It was October tenth, two 2003, when she and her roommate went to another friend's home to play board games until after sunset which was just before midnight due to the summer season in Alaska. Melissa, we talked a little bit about this off yeah. camera. My brain does not understand that.
1: No, it's it's seemed even worse than when it's like 4.30 here and getting dark, you know, like that right after the time changes and you're like, I can't do this. I can't imagine it being light that long.
0: Yeah. So at around one o'clock in the morning on what was now August 11th, Sonia's roommate decided to stay at the friend's place because she had to be at work in six hours and Sonia not having to work until later in the afternoon of the 12th opted to stay up and go for a walk in the rain that night When her roommate returned on the morning of august 11th Sonia wasn't there and there was no indication that she had ever returned home the night before Initially her roommate assumed that Sonia had stayed with a friend so she didn't panic but later on, things became more worrisome when friends and family were contacted and no one knew where Sonia was. On the morning of August 12th, Sonia's roommate still hadn't heard from her, so she started trying to track her down herself. She contacted police and asked if Sonia was in jail, but she wasn't, which really was no surprise at all because she wasn't the type of person you would expect to be in jail. Later in the afternoon, the roommate learned that Sonia had not come into work that day either, which was way out of character for her. Sonia's roommate reported her missing at 5.16 p.m. on August the 12th. She told officers she had not seen Sonia in 41 hours, but she had been reluctant to report her missing due to a history of police not taking cases involving Native people very seriously. And those fears weren't completely unfounded. The police didn't really take her seriously when she reported Sonia missing, and they did not start searching for her right away. Little did they know, the truth about what happened to Sonia was more shocking than anyone could imagine. Sonia
1: Ivanov was born on April 13, 1984, and grew up in Unalakete, Alaska. Her family, which included her five siblings, were members of the Inupiaq, which is an indigenous tribe in Alaska— During high school, Sonia was known for her outgoing and fun personality, and she was someone that excelled academically, and she also stood out as a star basketball player. After high school, she moved to a very small town of just 3,500 residents called Nome, and this town was actually on the Bering Sea. Sonia shared an apartment with a friend there, and they primarily walked everywhere they had to go because they didn't have a car. Nome, Alaska is a former gold rush town located just south of the Arctic Circle. It's also the endpoint of the Iditarod sled dog race. Nome is also largely populated with native residents, with over half of the residents belonging to either the same tribe as Sonia or Yupik Heritage. Unfortunately, Nome has been plagued with several issues relating to discrimination towards its indigenous population. Their police force is made up entirely of non-Native officers, and there's a long history in Nome of police completely ignoring reports of violence against women, specifically Native women. And we'll get more into that near the end of the episode, but there is a lot. So while living in Nome, Sonia found work as a secretary for Norton Sound Health Corps, where she earned a reputation for being a very responsible young woman. Sonia was dedicated to her job, but her ultimate goal was to save enough money so she could move somewhere more comfortable. She wanted to escape the Alaskan tundra and pursue higher education in Hawaii, which I, I love that you're
0: just like, I can't take the cold. What is the opposite, opposite of this? Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. When 19-year-old Sonia vanished in August of 2003, her case was met with the same lack of enthusiasm as many similar cases before hers. Though she hadn't been seen by her roommate since August 10th and had failed to show up for work on the 12th, they didn't launch an immediate investigation into her whereabouts. The following day, August 13th, a group of volunteers and police officers went searching for Sonia when it became clear that she was in fact missing. At approximately 8.30 p.m., they discovered Sonia's body in willow bushes about five feet from the side of Dredge Road 5, which is a pretty quiet and seldom used road a few minutes outside of Nome. This area is near an abandoned gold mine. Sonia was found naked except for one sock, and her body was covered in bruises. All of her personal belongings, including her clothing, her wallet, her ID, and apartment keys were missing. According to Sonia's roommate, she was last seen wearing jeans and a pair of Skechers shoes that she was actually borrowing from her roommate. Investigators determined that Sonia had been killed on a dirt path, and then her body was moved a few meters into the brush and rolled into the position where she was ultimately found. During an autopsy, it was concluded that the bruises on Sonia's body could have come from having her clothing forcefully removed. Her cause of death was determined to be from a single gunshot wound to the back of the head, fired from a close range, and a twenty two caliber bullet was recovered. No trace DNA was found on Sonia's body or on the bullet they recovered from her head. There were no skin cells under her fingernails, no hairs, no fibers, or anything else that would provide any clues about who was responsible for her brutal murder. Investigators thought the absence of DNA evidence and the fact that Sonia's clothes were taken could mean that whoever killed her had some level of what they were calling evidence awareness, basically somebody who knew how to ensure that there would not be any of these things left behind.
1: Since the Nome police didn't have the resources to properly investigate the case on their own, they asked the state troopers to assist them. They began by piecing together a timeline of Sonia's movements after she parted ways with her roommate that night. They learned that Sonia was seen by a janitor at a Tesoro station in Nome sometime between 1 and 1.15 a.m., and another woman reported seeing her walking in Nome sometime after 1 a.m., Friends and family of Sonia that spoke to police told them about a guy that Sonia was friends with, who had a history of domestic violence and was also known for having a temper. He had always been interested in Sonia romantically, but she had rejected him. When officers went to speak with this friend, they saw that he had blood on the floorboard of his truck as well as on a tarp in the back seat. They also found three rifles behind the driver's seat, one of which had blood on the butt end of it, and there was also blood on his shoes. So these things are obviously very suspicious, but he explained that he had just been hunting with some friends about 70 miles outside of town on August 10th and 11th. Police were really reluctant to believe this story because it seemed like an impossible coincidence and really just too convenient to be true that this person who, like, has this history with Sonia and also has blood in their car, also has these rifles, like, it sounds too perfect that, um, For you know, sure, that it yeah. could be a coincidence. So they were convinced that this man had killed Sonia. But after checking into his story, they found out that he was actually telling the truth and there was no way he could be responsible for Sonia's murder. Unfortunately for them, this meant that they were back at square one.
0: In mid-September, a woman named Florence provided a recorded statement to the police alleging that she and her sister Danita were sitting on the porch at their mom's house in Nome when they saw Sonia walking in the rain in the early morning hours of August 11th. Danita actually recognized Sonia specifically because she had just recently seen her playing in a basketball game, and so these three women exchanged greetings as Sonia was passing by. Florence later recalled that Sonia seemed so peaceful that night and said that really, that's just how she was as a person. She was very nice and just a very peaceful person. At 1.26 a.m., Florence saw a police car driving slowly behind Sonia and the police car pulled up next to her and then rolled down the window to speak to her. A few moments later, Sonia got into the passenger seat of this police car, and they drove off in a direction that was not towards Sonia's house. When word of Sonia's murder hit the news, Florence contacted the Nome police to let them know that she and her sister had seen Sonia at around 1.30 a.m., but investigators did not immediately look into this tip. In fact, they didn't even follow up with Florence for an interview until three weeks after she Mm -hmm. gave this report, which is like so unbelievable to think this is someone telling you like I may have seen this woman in her final moments and that's somebody that you absolutely need to be talking to and they didn't even follow up with her for three weeks. When they finally did interview her, Florence was asked a lot of questions about the police car she saw that night, which she told them was clearly marked and had lights on top. And they asked her about other details, such as whether the car had an antenna. But at the end of this interview, Florence really just had even more doubts that the police were taking any of what she was saying seriously. She later told the Anchorage Daily News that she hesitated to even contact the police in the first place in fear of retaliation against herself and her family, but she wanted to help the police find out what happened to Sonia, so she decided to call and tell them what she saw, but then they didn't even do anything about it for weeks. Florence ended up recording herself recounting everything she had seen that night and sent the video to state troopers in hopes that if the Nome police wouldn't take her seriously, then maybe the state troopers would.
1: I mean... You should not have to go to these kind of levels, but I thought it was so smart of her to do that, especially while the details are so fresh, she can remember these things because otherwise, who knows when they would have talked to her and maybe called her an
0: unreliable
1: witness at that point.
0: For sure. Yeah, you never know. So one of the troopers told the Anchorage Daily News that there, you know, really was no ill intent on the Nome police side. They said that the officer who had taken Florence's call just wrote her name down wrong, and that just delayed their ability to get in touch with her to interview her, which... I mean, fair enough. It could happen. It could. But this is a really small town. This is like definitely the kind of place where everybody knows everybody. I don't think it would take three weeks for police officers to track down Florence. Yeah, yeah. It just seems unlikely, but that's what they said. They said there was no ill intent there. Right. So after the troopers interviewed Florence and Danita, they were convinced that these two sisters actually were credible witnesses. And we have more to get into with this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors.
1: Mandy, quick, imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now, imagine them getting even softer every time they're washed. It's kind of hard to do, right? Actually, it's not that hard for me to imagine. And that must be because you know about the magic of Bowen Branch sheets. In fact, in a recent customer survey, 96% said that Bowen Branch sheets get softer with every wash. And no, it's not opposite day. You actually heard us right. They get softer every time thanks to their sheets being made from the rarest 100% organic cotton made in a buttery and breathable weave that gets softer and softer. And listen, sleep is life. So taking a chance on new sheets can be nerve-wracking, but with and Branch, you can feel the difference with their 30-night worry-free guarantee.
0: There is nothing in this world like a good night of sleep, and having and Branch sheets just sets the tone for the rest of the night. The first thing I noticed when I opened the and Branch package was not only the beautiful color, but also the amazing quality. I got my sheets in the color Mineral, which is the most perfect dark bluish gray, and you could really tell right off the bat that these sheets were the real deal. They come silky soft right out of the package, but then somehow get even softer every time you wash them. And with a bed full of people and pets, they're getting washed pretty often around here. I can confirm that they do in fact get softer and softer and have that cozy lived-in feeling.
1: And as I mentioned before, they're breathable, which means they're great for our friends to the North or those of us sweating again in the South. You really have to feel these sheets for yourself to get the and Branch treatment. And I dare you to say you've ever felt softer sheets. It's honestly impossible. Plus, you're not limited to color or size because and Branch signature sheets come in 13 versatile colors in all sizes from twin right up
0: to a California king. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from and Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code MOMS at bowlinbranch.com. That's Boland Branch B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
1: I have to be honest, magnesium wasn't on my radar until the TikTok algorithm taught me about it. I should be ashamed, but I'm not. This is just how life is in 2024. But I was waking up every day and you'd feel like you were kind of in a fog. And so I've tried a few of them, but I'm super excited to share this week's sponsor, Magnesium Breakthrough. I found that taking Magnesium Breakthrough is a great way to help me quiet my mind, which is something I feel like we all can kind of relate to. And while that in itself would be incredible, Not only does it help quiet my racing brain, but it also helps support bone density and supports muscle recovery. One thing I've learned since starting Magnesium Breakthrough is that all magnesiums aren't created the same. In fact, there are seven forms of magnesium and most magnesium supplements only contain one or two, but Magnesium Breakthrough contains all seven. Nurture your mind and body with this all-natural, full-spectrum magnesium supplement. Simply go to biooptimizers.com slash moms and use promo code moms during checkout to save 10%. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were discussing the investigation into Sonia Ivanov's murder and talking about this tip that came in from this woman named Florence and her sister Danita, who see Sonia on the night she goes missing, get into the car with what they believe is a police officer. So it's quickly learned uh, through this investigation that there were only two police officers working in Nome on the night Sonia was last seen. One was an officer named Stan, and the other was an officer in his late 20s named Matthew Owens. Matthew was the father of a young son, but in 2003, he was estranged from his wife, and they were in the process of getting a divorce. He'd been working for the Nome Police Department since 1996, and he was brought on as an officer in 2000, at which time the entire police force consisted of just nine people. That's insane. I'm from a small town, and they only have a couple, but like, the number nine is, it's so
0: specific.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in March two thousand one, Matt was granted a police officer certificate by the Alaska Police Standards Council. Both Matt and Stan were asked to come to Anchorage to be interviewed and to take polygraph tests. They scheduled all of this for September twenty fourth, but In a turn of events, police discovered that one of the three known police cars, which was vehicle 321, was actually missing. And so they discovered this on September 23rd at 1246 a.m., which is kind of wild. You only have nine officers. I feel like you'd be able to realize pretty quickly that one of the vehicles was gone.
0: Yeah, you would think. Maybe.
1: I I don't know enough about how (laughs) that works out, but it is just kind of, okay. Okay. Um, I guess. And these police cars were typically left with the keys in the ignition and a key in the shotgun lock, but they had their doors locked by an electric keypad. So that's how you would get in. So officers immediately began searching for this missing vehicle. And coincidentally, it was Matt Owens who ended up finding it just a couple hours later at 2.50 a.m. So he claims to have found this car in a gravel pit just outside of town, which was right across the road from where Sonia's body was found several weeks earlier. Two minutes later, Matt radioed in and said he was under gunfire. But when his fellow officers arrived for backup, they didn't find any suspects. That so feels like a very wild. obvious thing to like. Right. Like if you, you've you got to have some evidence you're under gunfire while you're there, um, or people aren't going to believe you. Right.
0: And he should know that.
1: Of all people. Of all people. Like, is there evidence of a gun firing over here? No? (laughs) Weird. So when officers approached the stolen police car, they noticed that one of the side windows had been busted out with a rock and the shotgun was
0: missing. So vehicle 321 was taken to a garage where it was thoroughly inspected. They found an envelope on the seat that had Sonia's ID and a note that had been printed from a computer. There was broken glass on top of this envelope, which told the investigators that the envelope had been placed on the seat before the window was broken out. The note itself read, "'Pigs, I hate cops. I hate every one of you. Sonia was just a person in the wrong place at the wrong time. I do not know her. As you can see, it was easy for me to take your pig car keys right there. It was not her fault. She thought I was a pig, and bleep, just happened.' She was just a person, and I just wanted to see if I could that night. Every one of you should be more careful. I will watch every move you make. You leave me alone, and I will leave you alone. I will also shoot you in the head if you get close. It's a lot of thoughts going on there. And That's a lot. Going yeah. everywhere.
1: I love that, like, if you leave me alone, don't investigate me for this murder. I'll leave you alone if you decide not to, I'm also going to shoot you in the head. So, what's going on The
0: weirdest part about this, although, is that this is happening two weeks after yeah. Sonia's body was found. So, like, I could understand if all this was at the same time. You know, they find this abandoned police car and this letter right. and everything. But this is so random and weird to happen, like, t- you know, multiple weeks into yeah. the investigation. This just mm-hmm. makes absolutely no sense. So according to Dateline, Matt told the police chief that he was just too shaken up from being shot at to be able to go in and meet with the state troopers the next day as planned. The police later theorized that the theft of the police car was just staged in order to divert the investigation, which sounds more likely the more we get into the story. So Matt didn't show up for this interview with the troopers, and he actually told them that the Nome police chief had given him permission to reschedule this meeting, which was a complete lie. The chief later told the troopers he never told Matt that he could postpone this interview. The troopers were able to speak with the other officer that was on duty that night, who, as we said, was a man named Stan, and he told them that he and Matt had responded to a domestic violence call together at about midnight on August 11th. They were at that call for about an hour before they returned to the station together where Stan wrote the report about the call they had just been on and Matt left. At first, Stan told officers that he saw Matt during the 2 a.m. bar closing patrols and that Matt drove him home at around 3 in the morning. But Stan actually later testified that the truth was he did not see Matt during the 2 a.m. patrols that night.
1: Matt did finally talk to troopers on September 29th. He told them about that domestic violence call that he went on with Stan, and he said he went out on patrol once that was done. He said he gave a ride to someone named Terry from 1.10 a.m. to 1.20, and then supervised downtown bar closing from about 1.30 to 2 a.m. Then he said he gave Stan a ride home around 3 a.m. and returned to the department to finish his shift. He said he was just out patrolling until he got off at 7 that morning. Matt said he didn't know Sonia at all and that she had never been in his police cruiser. So at this point, investigators weren't sure which one of these two men was lying to them, but they were sure that either Stan or Matt was completely full of it. They also found out that Matt had a reputation for bending the rules, and he was known to have unauthorized passengers in his police car while he was on duty. He actually even received counseling about this by a police sergeant in June of 2003. Furthermore, it was learned that Matt wasn't just picking up any random person off the street, he was picking up women. Multiple people told investigators that Matt would follow them in his patrol car while they were walking and then drive ahead of them to cut them off and to make contact. It was determined that Matt had actually followed, picked up, or had consensual sex with at least four women while on duty, and sometimes this would take place in his patrol car. And two of the women said they had sex with Matt while he was on duty on multiple occasions.
0: Even though Matt claimed to not know Sonia at all, they really just didn't believe him. After they learned that Sonia worked nights at the hospital, investigators thought it would be really unlikely for Matt to have never crossed paths with her at some point, since, as we said, this is a tiny town. And anytime one of the nine police officers had to be at the hospital, they would have to interact with the probably also small staff that was at the hospital. So even if he didn't know her from the hospital, surely he would have at least known who she was. The rest of the police really seemed to know everyone in town, and even Stan said that he at least knew who Sonia was. Matt eventually admitted that he did know who she was from seeing her at the hospital, but he said that was it. He said he sometimes picked up both men and women in his patrol car to give them rides, but he insisted that he never had sexual contact with anyone while on duty, and even went so far as to say that that would be crazy. Later, when police looked into the history of the names Matt had run through the search database, they found out that he actually searched up Sonia's name one time. He told them it was to find out whether or not she was of drinking age, but either way, this proved that he had at least heard of her prior to her murder. The police spoke with Stan again and gave him a polygraph test, which he passed, and he was cleared as a suspect while investigators focused their attention on Matt. Matt did not pass his polygraph, which we've talked about this before. We know polygraphs aren't very reliable, but they can definitely be helpful when they're combined with other evidence that points to someone's guilt. So it is kind of still worth noting, right. I think, when someone fails a polygraph. So Matt was read his rights and placed under arrest. He continued to say that he really did not know Sonia and she'd never been in his car and he said he definitely did not kill her. He also denied having anything to do with staging the theft of the police car. Matt was put on administrative leave while investigators continued digging into his story. At that point, they still needed more evidence to charge him with anything.
1: So on their quest to find the truth, officers got in touch with Matt's estranged wife, Trin. She told them that on the early evening of August 12th, Matt called her while she was at work and said she needed to take their four-year-old son because he had to go into work early. He said a young woman went missing and, quote, it didn't look good. Matt told Trin Sonia's name and her physical description and asked her not to tell anyone that he called her. So investigators realized that this call happened about 45 minutes before Sonia was even officially reported missing by her roommate. And Trent told police that she specifically remembers this date that it happened because it was their son's birthday and she wasn't scheduled to have him. Of all, like, she's not going to forget that that's the day you call because the first thing you're going to say is, really, it's your day to have him and really, it's his birthday. Right. So through conversations with others who knew Matt, it became clear that he was even more suspicious. They found out that he told his friend Warren details about Sonia's case, such as there not being any sign of sexual assault, there was no DNA evidence, and he said all these things before those tests had even been done. He also told Warren that it seemed like a man had picked Sonia up and possibly propositioned her for sex, and then when she declined and tried to escape the vehicle, she was shot in the head.
0: So as if Matt didn't already look suspicious enough, investigators also learned that on the day Sonia's body was found, Matt showed up to the scene on a four-wheeler with his four-year-old son pulling up to a murder scene. That just does not make any sense. But you know what? It
1: sounds so much like, why would I bring my four-year-old son if I did this? You know what I mean? Like, it's like why that extra Why would you bring a four-year-old layer. to a murder scene to begin with, though? That's like crazy. Why would you... Why? No, I agree. Unless they called him and said, you have to come. There's no reason for him to have done that. And he said, I have my kid with me. And they said, I don't care. Bring him on a four wheeler to a murder scene. Okay. But other than that, there's no reason.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So he tells them when he gets there that he had just found out about the discovery of Sonia's body from a volunteer firefighter named Jennifer. But this person, Jennifer, denied that she ever informed Matt about anything related to Sonia. And we're going to kind of get into that a little bit more as well. So the troopers investigating the case thought that there was just no way Matt could have known the location of Sonia's body unless he was the killer. There had been no radio transmission put out regarding the finding of the body or the location of it. And Matt wasn't even on duty that evening. So basically, they're like, why are you here? Yeah.
1: So, my only reason for him bringing the kid there is now gone because he was never supposed to be there, shouldn't have
0: even known about it. Right. So, no excuse. So it would later come out, though, that Jennifer did, in fact, tell Matt about Sonia's body being found. It also came out that Jennifer and Matt were romantically involved in August of 2003, but Jennifer was the daughter of a known police officer, so she probably wanted to try kind of distancing herself from Seriously. the whole thing. Like, I'm assuming that she had no idea, you know, didn't think that Matt had actually killed Sonia. Like, I sure. don't think she put that together, but I could see a situation where she was, like, telling her boyfriend figure about this you know woman's body being found somewhere of course he's a police officer so why wouldn't she share that information with him and then later when she found out you know that matt was involved in this she was like oh okay uh, yeah i don't want to have anything to do with this on october 24th matt visited the bank twice and one of his family members called an airline that day asking about flight information At this point, investigators had already been keeping a very close eye on Matt, and so they were thinking when they see all this going on that Matt is planning to try and flee, so they immediately issued a warrant for his arrest. Matt was also fired from the police department later that same day. Matt was arrested at his home on October 25th, and he was soon indicted on charges of first-degree murder, tampering with evidence this was related to stealing the police car and also a misdemeanor count of official misconduct for having inappropriate relationships with women while on duty. The official misconduct charge was later separated from the murder and tampering charges. Matt's arrest only further eroded the public trust in the known police department, which is something that they were, I guess you could say, painfully aware of. The public right. really was, you know, at this point, not a friend of the police in A general sense sure
1: so after matt was arrested six women came forward to report various offenses from stalking to rape some of the women tried to file complaints at the police department but nothing was done about it even though they had more and more testimonies against him investigators didn't have enough concrete physical evidence that linked him to sonia's murder They did figure out that the note found in the cruiser originated from a printer that Matt had access to, but there was no DNA found on the note, the rock, or the cruiser. The shotgun that was missing from vehicle 321 was later recovered, but had no usable DNA or fingerprints on it. Additionally, they weren't able to determine the specific gun used to kill Sonya, since no weapon was found at the scene, only the 22 casing. Upon closer inspection of the bullet recovered from Sonia's head, a rare groove pattern was noticed, which suggested a unique rifling in the gun was used. Other known police officers remembered that there was a 22 Jennings pistol with a similar rifling pattern that was kept in the evidence room, and it was accessible to everyone at the station, including Matt. Ballistics testing was unable to identify a 100% match, but experts believe that the Jennings pistol was likely the murder weapon. It was also learned that in the days after Sonia was missing, Matt made numerous trips to Coffee Creek, which is about 75 miles away from Nome, and while he was there, he was burning items, including a pair of gloves in a fire pit. And when the fire pit was later searched, they found grommets from a pair of tilt jeans, eyelets from Skechers' shoes, metal components of a bra, four keys on a ring, and metal zippers. Sonia's remake confirmed that she was last seen wearing jeans and sketchers and said that Sonia did own Tilt brand jeans. One of the keys found looked like Sonia's apartment key. Investigators were able to make a replica of the burned key, and they tried to use it to unlock Sonia's apartment. The replica key did fit in the lock, but it wasn't able to open the door, which they believe was due to fire damage to the original key. It was confirmed that a second key found belonged to Matt's uncle. And we still have more to get into after one last break to hear word from this week's sponsors. Did you know that 61% of people experience gastrointestinal discomfort? In some ways, that number seems really high, but in others, it doesn't seem high enough. And that's because I'm part of that special 61% of people. And if you are too, you'll want to do what I did and check out this week's sponsor, That's because SEEDS DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is the new standard in probiotics. Its non-fermenting formula is backed by clinical trials and scientific studies and
0: delivers more of what you need where you need it. As a mom, I think a lot about and talk to my kids a lot about listening to their gut. And that's not just a thing moms say. There's good reason to listen to your gut. After all, your whole body's health really starts there. And that's why we want to share SEEDS DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Gut health was something I ignored most of my
1: life, and that's because I didn't have to. I was part of that lucky 39%. But now I don't have a choice to, and that's because I'm much more sensitive to what I eat, and I can go from eating a delicious meal to feeling bloated and incredibly uncomfortable. Thanks to Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic, I take it in the morning, and I'm able to go about my day while Seed helps support healthy gut immune function and promotes gut ease. I'm always looking for ways to help me feel my best and having the right probiotic can really be a game changer. It's a broad spectrum probiotic and prebiotic that's formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole body benefits, which goes beyond gut health to things like promoting smooth, clear, and healthy
0: skin and supporting your body's ability to break down fats and lipids. Listen to your gut with Seeds dso one Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash moms and use code 25 moms to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DSO one daily symbiotic at seed.com slash moms code 25 moms.
1: This podcast is sponsored by stellar sleep. Sleep is a beautiful thing. And the older you get, the more elusive it can feel. At least that's how it's been for me. Sleep is really a priority, but what do I even do about it? Not a whole lot. But thanks to Stellar Sleep, whether you have big sleep problems or small, Stellar Sleep can work for you. Stellar Sleep is the very first digital solution for all your sleep needs. Stellar Sleep was actually founded at Harvard by two best friends who struggled with sleep and were kind of frustrated when it came to seeing that there really weren't that many resources that could help them. And I don't know about you, but I'll gladly take my chance on an app over a sleep study or a medication you especially won't see me cutting my diet Coke intake. And that's because Stellar Sleep focuses on sleep psychology, which helps you tackle insomnia at the source. In a clinical assessment of 500 people, 80% of those that use Stellar Sleep showed significantly improved sleep, which on average led to 74 minutes in additional sleep and 53 less minutes to fall asleep. That's a huge improvement. But what I really love about Stellar Sleep is right out of the gate, day one, it literally told me, try to stay up as late as I can. That definitely didn't sound like I was reading it right and it wasn't anything I'd heard before, but the whole idea is that this is sleep psychology. They literally know how to help us train our brains and that in itself took the pressure off going to sleep. Learn how to sleep again with Stellar Sleep. Head to stellarsleep.com slash moms for your free seven-day trial and then just $99 per year. Plus, you can cancel any time within the first 30 days for a full refund. Once again, that's stellarsleep.com moms for your free seven-day trial, then just $99 per year. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated.
0: Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. And now, back to the episode. Before the break, we have gotten into many details of the murder of Sonia Ivanov and the arrest of police officer Matthew Owens. Matt's trial began on January 18, 2005. The trial was held in Nome, even though Matt's defense requested a change of venue. Prosecutors were not allowed to bring up the fact that Matt had a history of picking up women while on patrol and having sexual relations with them or assaulting them. The prosecution told the jury that Matt murdered Sonia and staged the police car theft. They said he had given Sonia a ride in his patrol car in the early morning hours of August 11th. He drove her out of town, shot her, and left her body alongside an old mining road, and then later staged the police car theft to confuse the case. They did not delve into theories on Matt's motive, most likely because they were limited on discussing Matt's on-duty interactions with women in the past. But an investigator did later propose the theory that Matt had been watching Sonia for some time and hoped to engage in sexual conduct with her. When she refused, he killed her. Prosecutors outlined all the circumstantial evidence that proved Matt was guilty, including the fact that Matt was on duty the night Sonia disappeared and that she was seen getting into a police car. Matt also knew about Sonia's disappearance before she was even reported missing, and he had access to the gun that was likely the murder weapon, as well as being seen burning items in a fire pit that matched what Sonia was last seen wearing. Prosecutors also told the jury they believed whoever killed Sonia had evidence awareness, and that's why there was no DNA or fibers left behind.
1: The two sisters, Florence and Danita, that saw Sonia get into a police car before going missing were the key witnesses for the prosecution. Seven witnesses in total testified that Matt knew Sonia before she went missing. The prosecution had Stan, which was the officer that was working with Matt on August 10th and 11th to testify. He admitted that he actually didn't see Matt during that 2 a.m. bar closing patrol. He had lied to Alaska state troopers about that when they interviewed him. The prosecution also had Jennifer, which was the volunteer firefighter, testify as well. She testified that she actually did tell Matt that Sonia's body had been found. This, of course, was not what she had claimed previously, and this sort of threw a wrench in the prosecution's case because they were claiming there was no way that Matt would have known where Sonia's body was if he hadn't been the killer, but here we have Jennifer saying, actually, I did tell him about it and where it was. Jennifer testified that after Sonia's body was found, the police called her father, who again was a police officer. He then spoke to Jennifer, didn't give her all the details, but she could tell that Sonia's body had been found. She then called the fire department and confirmed that a crime scene had been found. That's when she called Matt and gave him the general location.
0: Matt's defense was really just that he was completely innocent. They said he didn't kill Sonia and he didn't stage the police car theft. They also said he didn't know Sonia or have any motive to kill her and that the prosecution had simply made the evidence fit Matt. They further said the bullet from Sonia's head did not match any guns that Matt had access to. Witnesses testified that Sonia was seen alive after the early hours of August 11th. Matt also took the stand in his own defense and denied killing Sonia. He tried to explain away all the evidence against him, like claiming he never called his estranged wife on August 12th to ask her to take their son because a woman was missing. He got on the stand and said he actually called her on the 19th because he had to go into work to help with an evidence search, but he didn't say anything to her about a missing person. Unfortunately, the jury was not able to come to a verdict. So on February 28th, 2005, a mistrial was declared. Matt's retrial began eight months later in October. This time, the trial was moved to a different city that was 180 miles north of Nome. By this time, the city of Nome had settled with Sonia's parents for the wrongful death of their daughter. They were given $500,000. In the second trial, prosecutors and defense attorneys presented pretty much the same evidence as they did in the first trial, and Matt testified, again claiming total innocence. This time, after three days of deliberation, the jury found Matt guilty of murder and tampering with evidence. After the verdict was read, Sonia's mom told the Associated Press that the family was very grateful and happy that no other parents would have to go through what they had gone through with Matt ever again.
1: Matt's sentencing hearing was held in April of 2006, where Sonia's father gave an impact statement where he said his whole family was still struggling with Sonia's murder and that his wife was still crying on his shoulder. He said that Matt should never be allowed in public again. Prosecutors also asked that Matt never be released. They wanted him to receive the maximum penalty of 99 years. They also said that Matt wasn't a good cop gone bad. He was bad from the start. He just used his position of authority to commit crimes against women. And in the case of Sonia, those crimes escalated to murder. Matt's defense team was angry when they heard this statement, and they countered that Matt was not guilty and that the prosecution should not speculate on Matt's nature, which is interesting because he's. this is the sentencing phase. He's right. already been found guilty. Um, and Matt spoke to the court and said, quote, I pleaded innocent from day one, and that's not going to change. I am not guilty. I know that the family suffers, but I'm not the reason for their suffering." End quote. Ultimately though, Matt was sentenced to 99 years in prison plus 2 years for tampering with evidence. He would be eligible for parole after 34 years. He was placed into the custody of the Federal Bureau of Prisons, which is likely because he was a police officer because they are usually put in protective custody.
0: Once Matt was convicted, the residents of Nome started to feel more comfortable coming out and talking about their negative experiences with the Nome police. In late April 2006, three residents even filed a negligence lawsuit against the city of Nome. Two of these were filed by women who had been sexually assaulted by Matt, and the third was by a man who had been publicly implicated as a suspect in Sonia's murder. There wasn't anybody named specifically, but I am assuming it's the person that we talked about in the beginning that the police were harassing and, you know, really thought that he was responsible for her murder. But he said that officers had harassed, defamed, and intentionally caused him emotional distress up until December 2005 when Matt was finally arrested. One of the women reported that Matt had stalked her in the summer of 2003. He sexually assaulted her on multiple occasions and threatened her to keep her quiet. The other woman said she was threatened and sexually assaulted by Matt while he was on duty in the summer of 2003. She said he drove her to a remote area and raped her at gunpoint, threatening to shoot her if she reported the incident. In response to these lawsuits, the police chief claimed that he had no knowledge of Matt's misconduct and said that the investigation into Sonia's murder was promptly handed over to the state troopers when it was learned that a known police officer was involved. In essence, they just want to like, wash their hands. They don't want to. Yeah take responsibility. In the end, the city paid out about $750,000 to settle these three lawsuits. In
1: 2018, 12 years after Sonia's case had been settled, one of the women that saw her getting into Matt's patrol car that night, which was Florence, she's the one that was on the porch with her sister, she was assaulted by a known police officer named Carl Putman. I was so shocked reading that. Me like That too. is the craziest thing. So at the time of the assault, Florence was experiencing homelessness, and Carl picked her up and drove her to an emergency shelter. So on the way to the shelter, Florence passes out in the patrol car, and when this officer was unable to wake her up, he punched her in the head out of frustration. Oh, my gosh. It's so confusing because it's like, okay, sounds like he's trying to do the right thing and bring her somewhere, but then he's like, you won't wake up? This is what happens. Wild. Wild. Luckily, he was fired, and he pleaded guilty to fourth-degree assault. But he was rehired by the known police department as a dispatcher later that year. So the police department said this was supposed to be temporary, and it was only due to a staffing shortage. Oh, my gosh. wow. Stay short. (laughs) Yeah. So the assault conviction was actually Carl's second misdemeanor. He had pleaded guilty to criminal mischief in 2002. And evidently, this just wasn't a big deal to the Nome Police Department. The city manager at the time said there were several dispatchers who had criminal records. Wow. Yeah. So around the time of Florence's assault, a town meeting was called so city council members could discuss Nome's police force, including its policies on sexual assault and domestic violence. Things kind of went haywire. The police chief actually retired and accusations of sexual harassment involving the city manager came to light. There had also been two other police employees who had been demoted in the previous six months, which is a lot when you consider that's two out of nine. And I'm assuming the ninth one was Matt. So unless somebody replaced (laughs) him, we're two out of eight now.
0: Yeah. So in September of 2019, the Associated Press reported on incidents of sexual assault in Nome, which featured accounts of survivors. These victims had all reported their rapes to the known police department, but they never investigated them, and they wouldn't communicate with the victims about what was happening in their cases. Two of these victims talked about having visible injuries from being raped and going to the hospital to have a rape kit conducted, but said that the police who were at the hospital told the staff not to perform the tests. Yeah. I mean, they just have their hands everywhere. They're yeah. controlling everything. It's truly horrifying. One victim was even a gnome police dispatcher, and her own department wouldn't investigate her rape report. You can't feel safe at all. I mean, at all. If no, this no person one. can't
1: even. Yeah, exactly. Right.
0: So these survivors all allege that the Nome Police Department showed less attention to sexual assault against Native women and that they did not conduct aggressive investigations into them whatsoever. In 2013, the Nome Police Department received 33 calls about sexual assaults but made only one arrest that year. From 2008 to 2017, they received 372 calls, resulting in 30 arrests, which is an 8% arrest rate. So to compare this to the rest of the country, a 2019 study of six U.S. police departments found that on average, just under 19% of sexual assault reports lead to an arrest. Now, That definitely still seems like such a tragically low number, but when you look at it statistically, it's still more than double the rate they see in Nome. Wow. In December of 2019, the Associated Press published a follow-up article where they spoke to two former Nome officers who confirmed that the department didn't seem to care about Native sexual assault victims. An officer named Gretchen, who actually was hired to replace Matt, ended up working for the department from 2004 to 2006. And she caught on pretty quickly to the fact that the department frequently failed to investigate sexual assaults reported by Native women. She said when she left the department in 2006, she even wrote to city council members letting them know about her concerns. A police consultant did come to interview her, but nothing ever came of her complaint. So now you have somebody inside who's seeing it
1: and still isn't being listened to.
0: Yeah. Another former gnome officer who actually worked with this woman Gretchen during his 15 years at the police department said that basically he felt terribly for Gretchen. She was targeted and discriminated against because she was a woman and because she actually wanted to do some police work. You know, she wasn't letting these things just fly under the radar. She actually yeah. wanted to look into what was going on. And this other officer said that put a target on her back.
1: In 2019, a new police chief enlisted the help of a cold case detective from Virginia, as well as an evidence technician from Alaska, and asked them to investigate whether or not the known police department had failed to investigate sexual assaults. What they learned was shocking. These files showed over and over again that officers had not investigated rapes and other sex crimes. In some cases, they never even questioned the suspect. In other cases, dispatchers had taken 911 calls from these distraught women who had just been raped and no one ever bothered to even talk to them. Wow. It's like absolutely worst case scenario in the worst case scenario, you know, that's already happened to them. So the cold case detective said he'd never seen anything like that in his career. They were able to uncover evidence that confirmed this pattern of inaction when it came to the assault of Native women. In fact, nearly all of the sexual assault cold cases involved Native victims. The Alaska chapter of the ACLU described it as a, quote, systemic, decades-long indifference to the safety of Alaska Native women, end quote. The chief eventually had to pull the detective and the technician off this case due to short staffing, despite begging the city to help him with staffing so he could continue investigating the sexual assault cold cases, but the city didn't do anything. The chief ended up resigning when it became clear they weren't going to act on any of his concerns. Later, a full-time investigator focused on sexual assault and an Alaska Native victims advocate was hired to try and help work on the situation. In 2007, the Alaska governor signed the Sonia Ivanhoff Act into law, which makes it so that a police officer who uses their authority to facilitate a murder will receive the maximum sentence possible, which is 99 years.
0: This story is just so upsetting for so many reasons.
1: Someone that I'm very close to that you know, Mandy, is on like the city council for their town now, and it's a very small town. And they have told me, I can't even believe the corruption going on here. Like would not have signed on to be a part of this if they had known because it's just so bad and so it goes so far up the ladder and like what can you do? And they're trying to do everything, but they're getting bullied and harassed. Like it's bad. Yeah. And so I can't imagine this and poor Sonia and poor these poor women had no one to turn to. Like I was saying to you off mic, there were probably even more where women just don't even call Definitely. because yeah. this, this happened to your friend and nobody even came to see you. Why would you even try? So, oh my gosh, I really hope I hope there's big changes up there. So yeah, it's just so sad all around. But it's great that this law came into place and that they were able to convict him because I was scared when I first read it that, oh my gosh, he yeah. just got off.
0: Yeah, I do think too. it was good
1: that they changed venues, though. I do think that was a fair thing to change
0: venues and not have it in gnome especially considering
1: it was so dang corrupt already
0: exactly that's what i was thinking if for no other reason than just to get everything out of gnome because it seemed like there was like a very tight-knit something going on around there so yeah it was probably good to move him somewhere else for that totally Okay, Melissa, before we get out of here for the week, let's do a little last thing before we go. We have a fun one. We've done this mm-hmm. once before. It's been a very long time. Melissa, do you want to explain what it is that we're doing this week?
1: Okay, so we, uh, I can't remember, you said it was like Arts and Creative Day something this week, so that was oh, kind yeah. of inspiration, <laughs> like there's some holiday day. So we sent each other three famous, infamous pieces of art, and we will each say what we think they should be called, right?
0: Yeah. Right? Okay,
1: yeah perfect yes um, would you like me to go first or would you like yes to go first? why don't you go okay. first so the first one i know this one um this is and this is the only one i knew uh the scream by edward munch no monk i don't remember how to say his name i've only read it but you know the scream the famous scream p- picture right literally me yeah literally <laughs> you well wait until you hear what i have decided to name it because i think you would definitely agree this one I would call, Mom, did you get a poster for my science project tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> for a million oh, reasons, that's yes. what happens in your brain. Like, are you
0: kidding me? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so you want me to go on your first one that you sent sure. me? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I don't know what this painting is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to describe what I see here. It's very cartoonish, there's mm-hmm. a man. A man yes. with his head in his lap, in his hands. Right. Well, he's holding his Normal. head in his hands. Mm-hmm. And it's not on his head. <laughs> so he doesn't have Definitely a Definitely not. And there's a lady, well, I'm assuming it's a lady, has a beautiful dress but there's also no head, so there's no context anywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, her head isn't even a part of this. He there's, I don't know
0: where her head is. Mm-mm. But she's holding flowers and has on a beautiful skirt and dress. And there's a really cute Cat, yeah, next to them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I just want to call this one off with their heads because Ooh. their heads are gone. <laughs> their heads are gone. But I don't know. Like, where's her head?
1: I know. And then you see, it looks like their heads are in like the it's painting, like a portrait in a portrait, right? Yeah, behind them. Um. Yeah. Where is her head? Did the cat eat it? I'm kind of worried the cat ate it. I've heard cat eat cats eat flesh. No if somebody dies i've heard that i don't know if it's true
0: i don't understand this painting and i just i don't like it either off with their heads
1: off with their heads is the perfect name for it but it's actually named the family portrait the family portrait what's going on in your head lady i mean like this is there's a lot going on your family in your (laughs) there you go um, I will not be pronouncing the name of the artist there, but thank you to Rosie on uh, Instagram for that uh, for that one. Okay, Mandy, the next one you sent me, I wrote back to you. How dare you? When I saw these next two, so how to explain this? This appears to be a, a well endowed in the chesticle region person. <laughs> Uh, maybe wearing like a corset with a, what would you call this hat thing?
0: I have no clue. I don't even know how you describe those hat things. Quite
1: honestly, it looks
0: like a demon wearing
1: like, you know, those uh, like, neck pillows that you it wear? It looks like in he's the wearing horn warmers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True. It looks like horn warmers. And. Honestly, has a face that only a mother could love. There's just no other way to explain it. So let me see. I think I had a couple options for this one. Okay. I think you could call it um, Cinderella's third half sister. It's like Anastasia, Drizella, and this one. Um, Kardashians by Getty Image. That's too mean. (laughs) Um, And then my last one is, and I'm Denise, do you know this? I'm sending you this clip you'll see this and I think you'll know it. If you watch Saturday Night Live, it's the three sisters. It's the one that Kristen
0: Wiig plays. Pretty accurate. Handsome woman. Pretty accurate. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Okay, so (laughs) those were good. The real name of this painting though is uh, The Ugly Duchess. (gasps) Wow. But truly. Wow. (laughs) But truly like accurate. That is,
1: can you imagine if somebody was like, I made you a painting?
0: Yeah. Inspired by you. Yeah. <laughs> that. I don't know. I was re- trying to read up a little information about this painting. It, it, they, some people believe it was meant to be a satirical statement, and there's like a partner painting called Old Man. I don't know what that one looks like. I didn't look that one up, but I'm curious now. I'm going to have to go look it up. But yeah, this is the Ugly Duchess. It sure is. <laughs> and I'm Junice, is what I'm calling it. There we go. Perfect. Okay. The next one that you sent me. Is literally just a skeleton smoking a doobie. Is it a doobie? Well, I don't know. It could be. I it's abstract. It yeah, <laughs> that's it's what it's abstract. <laughs> that's what I saw. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. This one feels very like uh, waiting on something. Okay. Like I don't know my kids to fold their laundry. I guess I wouldn't be. Ha- do- I guess I wouldn't be doing that with a doobie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't involve the children in this. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. Uh, let's see. I don't know. Maybe we'll just call it. We'll call it mom's last nerve. It literally could
1: be called mom's last nerve. Yeah. <laughs> um. That was from Calabelle. It's called skull of a skeleton with burning cigarette. I mean, just. Oh. Yeah. Like that
0: that's one's very just, on the nose. Right. It's just very, a very literal interpretation. <laughs> very literal. And that's by Vincent Van Gogh. Oh, of course, it has to be a Van Gogh. He just mm-hmm. like that day, he was just clowning around. He's like, I'm just going to paint a skeleton <laughs> smoking a He's like, tomorrow
1: I cut my ear off today, I do a skeleton. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mandy, what the heck is this? <laughs> this one that you sent me, it, it's somebody, I don't know, person, somebody. possibly person. What is it? You said somebody. It's somebody. Oh. Okay, yeah, it's somebody. Um, person, maybe not. Eyes look panicked. Looks like they're eating part of a human. Right? Like a small human? Uh huh. Okay. All right, eyes, eyes do look panicked. The eyes are very panicked about what they're doing. And I named this one. This is based on Mean Girls. Are humans a carb? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, no. Okay. This painting is very strange. It's called Saturn Devouring His son. Oh, my gosh. But why? I mean, it's creepy. It's a very creepy painting.
1: But he doesn't look happy about it, I will say. It's not like snapping. No, he does looks, look – he looks upset. <laughs> yeah, he looks very upset, and as he should be, let's be honest, as he should be. Is this my last one? Yes. Okay. Last
0: one. Okay, so here's my last one. This is actually a very lovely painting. yes. I like this one quite a lot. Okay, so it's a lady and a little girl. The woman's got on a pretty red hat and the little girl has on like a flower crown type thing. And I don't know what's in front of them. I guess that's up for interpretation. Balls of yarn. It looks like it could be balls of yarn.
1: Balls of yarn are in front of
0: them. (laughs) Yeah, it does look like that. But let's see. The woman looks kind of annoyed slightly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I think we just see what we feel in others. (laughs)
0: She looks like she's sick of playing with these balls of yarn. She, Yeah, she has rolled them up for the last time. I'm going to call this one nap time is coming. <laughs> <laughs> Stay strong.
1: <laughs> this one is called Two Sisters on the Terrace. Not even a mother-daughter. That's oh, like wow. age gap
0: kids. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, because what, what I'm looking at looks like at least like a 20-year-old and like a four-year-old. So that's yeah. – I was confused there.
1: I'm very – not loving the little girl staring into my soul right now it's quite intense I think I'd rather look at that guy eating his kid yeah that's
0: super weird (laughs) all right
1: (laughs) yeah and thank you that was Shanda on Instagram that sent that so we'll have to do something like this again and ask for more requests because these are always fun love that
0: those are fun yeah so you'll post those freaky weird images on Instagram
1: yes um (laughs) I'm glad to know the names of those like are like insane things and not like the family portrait like the right one. So it makes me feel better
0: <laughs> all right guys well that was the episode for this week hope you enjoyed listening we will be back next week same time same place new story have a great week bye <laughs>